Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland on News Talk. Now, Scott Davis, an adventurer, tech founder, and author, shares his unconventional approach to finding balance, beauty, and meaning in life in his thought provoking book, Surf the Seesaw. Unconventional essays on balance, beauty, and meaning in life. Wow, what about that for an intro? He joins me now. Scott, how are you? (laughs) I'm doing great, Bobby. Well, that's a great intro. Thank you. (laughs) Well, now, firstly, you have to tell us what what motivated you to leave behind your successful corporate career and set sail on a six-year journey. Tell us the origins of that, if you would. Well, uh, in my early 20s, I was really very fortunate. I met some very powerful guys, and I guess I met them on a good day because they sort of adopted me and you know uh, gave me a great career early in life. So by the time I was 30, I had done a lot of things that most people didn't get to do before their middle age. And you know I could see where this corporate thing was going, and it was really just going toward more, more of the same thing, uh, more power, more money, more repetitions of the same playbook. And at some point, I realized this is probably not going to reveal to me the meaning of life, just pursuing more. So I decided I would sell everything, give everything else away, buy an old sailboat and go live in some simpler cultures in the Eastern Caribbean. And that's what I did. That was one of the questions I had for you, uh, Scott, was were you, a, were you a wealthy man when you decided to embark on this quest? Well, in the global context, I would say sure. Uh, you know, to be in Western society globally is to be incredibly wealthy. Yeah. But, but no, not, not by American or Irish or UK standards. No, I was not wealthy. I was upper middle class, successful, but not independently wealthy. And I just chose to reduce my standard of living significantly. I think uh, when, when I was on the boat, I think my average monthly living expenses must have been about $2,000. So right. not chump change, but certainly within the reach of anybody who's serious about having that experience. Okay. And can I ask you another question? Were you a, were you a sailor as a leisure hobby before you embarked on the journey or were you new to sailing? I was completely new to sailing. Okay. I had I had to not only new to sailing but new to large boat maintenance. My boat was a 20-ton Sparkman and Stevens uh monohull sloop and it was about 20 years old and I didn't know anything about diesel maintenance. So I actually went to diesel school because I realized <laughs> that if I if, if I didn't know how to take care of a diesel engine in the, you know, Eastern Caribbean, I was going to be in deep trouble. So yeah, I had to learn to sail, so I, I went to sailing school, and uh, and then the rest of it was just, as you know, self-taught. You learn some basics in school, and then you have to be able to kind of find your way through the real world of sailing, which is all the stuff they don't teach you in sailing school. Sure. Now, one of the things you remark about in the book is that, you know, I suppose one of the the key observations are that you can't control the waves or the wind, you have to show respect for the sea. And really, you're not in control, but we're taught to be in control. You were always in control when you were a tech entrepreneur and you were telling people what to do or deciding, but the sea kind of controls you, certainly to an extent. You You can choose not to go out in the sea, 
But once you're out in right. the sea, you really have to go with what it it's the dictator. Yeah, I think it's a great lesson in life. Uh, I think that most of the time in Western society, particularly in the upper echelons, we don't operate in the real world. We operate in this bubble in which everything is very controlled. We operate in communities in which food is always available in abundance, in variety. We operate in a world in which there's always somebody to do some task for us. And so it gives us the illusion that we have a predictable universe that we inhabit and that we have control over it. But as soon as you know, as soon as you get out on the ocean, like the last moment at which you have absolute control is the moment that you pull the dock lines off. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think it was just a great lesson to say there are practical limits to our ability to control the world around us. There are practical limits to our ability to forecast. I mean, as you know, we have access to multiple supercomputer weather models that are forecasting what's going to happen when we get out on the water. And in my experience, very, very rarely are those things absolutely correct. Yeah. Which means I could want to go southeast today. My plan could be to go to a particular port that's southeast of me. And, you know, a couple of hours into that process, I may realize if I continue on this path, I'm going to break the boat or break myself. So I need to go to plan B, which may be, hey, we're going to go do south today because southeast is just not working. Yeah. And that adaptability was something that uh, sailing really taught me is important. And when I came back to quote unquote society, uh, it just, it had changed the way that I looked at plans instead of plans being about knowing exactly what's going to happen tomorrow and building a very specific plan for exactly what I was going to do rather saying, I need a plan A and a plan B and a plan C, and I'm just going to adapt based on what I see happening tomorrow. Yeah. And, and so are you very comfortable now around a lack of order or a lack of predictability or, you know, basically every day being uncertain. Are you comfortable with that? Yeah, I am. I am a lot more comfortable with that. I think that some of these guys that really took my career and set me on a different path, these guys that have been fantastically successful, in retrospect, one of the things that I see that made them incredibly successful, in addition to obviously being hardworking and incredibly intelligent, these guys were just more comfortable with ambiguity than the average bear. They, yeah. were, they were comfortable not having every piece of information that they needed, not knowing absolutely with certainty what was going to happen, and they could still act. And I think that that's really what sets apart people who are able to thrive in this world of chaos is a little bit higher comfort level with ambiguity. You, you, you have a chapter on parenting in the book, and maybe somebody who didn't know you or didn't know your circumstance might say that to go off on a boat for six years without your kids mightn't be the greatest parental uh, thing that <laughs> one could do. Um, where, where do you square yeah. that circle? Well, my kids were college age when right. I did that. So there were protracted periods of time in which they didn't really need us. Uh, so it made it much easier for us to disappear. And obviously, we still could fly home from time to time and, and see them at Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. But yeah, leaving kids to go offshore when you're 
when they're six or eight or ten. That's a completely different issue. Yeah, um, we didn't do that. And and did your relationship with your kids? change in any way for the better or worse even after uh, the six-year period uh they the relationships i think changed of course and got better and a great example one of my sons uh is on the bipolar spectrum so he has a mental health challenge and and part of his uh, early treatment was that he needed to go on some drugs that would greatly suppress his, uh, his IQ. And he also needed to be removed from the overstimulation of modern life. And so we brought him to the Caribbean to live with us for a year. And I told him, we're not just going to sit around playing video games all year. So we decided we would build a boat from scratch, right? Which was a huge challenge. Right. And, uh, and what it turned out to be, as you know, uh, anything associated with boats is a great life lesson. And so building this boat was just life lesson after life lesson. So, you know, I had my son in his early 20s with me 24-7 for a year while we built this boat. And a lot of the life lessons that he now applies, he's, uh, you know, he's recovered. He doesn't have to be on any drugs. He's you know, just a thriving professional. Yeah. And a lot of the, and a lot of the stories he uses to manage his career all harken back to our experiences in the Caribbean building that boat. So yeah, I'm, it was a way of weaving our lives together even more richly in his twenties than we had even when he was eight or 10 or 12 or 15. Yeah. Very interesting and very that's really glad to hear that. That's really positive. Um, tell us a bit about how you navigate the balance between taking risks and kind of and maintaining some stability, even though it sounds like yeah. it might not always be stable, but maintaining some stability around the risk taking. I think that this is a great question uh, because it does get to the fundamental question in the book. The, the title of the book is Surf the Seesaw. And the idea here is if you picture a seesaw on the playground, my favorite thing to do when I was a kid was not to sit on the seats on either end, but to stand over the fulcrum with yeah. one, shoot, one foot on each side and just keep both seats in the air by myself. And it's this very dynamic notion of balance because as kids, you know, we understand that balance is active because we'll say things like balance this broomstick in your hand or balance the bicycle without training wheels. So we, we know as kids that balance is active, but as we get to be adults, we adopt this view of balance as this static equilibrium, a sort of negotiated settlement. I mean, the picture I have in my mind is the seesaw on the playground, the adult comes and puts a cinder block, a concrete block under each of those seats and then says, aha, balance but really all they've done is just take all the fun out of the playground sure now balance can't be active and so when we think about risk versus security or we think about expanding our lives versus optimizing our lives this we we have these tensions uh between efficiency which you could think about running a business and that would be a focus on low cost or you could think about exploration in a business is a new product or something like that and in your personal life ex you know, exploration might be i'm going to read a book from 
an author or on a topic that I would never read, or I'm going to listen to a radio broadcast from a political perspective that I would never listen to. Well, that's kind of exploring. And then standardization is this idea of, but I know who I am and I'm very confident in my identity and I'm going to be true to myself as well. And so I think that this, if you think about this idea of balance as an active concept, it's going to make total sense to you as a sailor, right? Because you think about when I say, get the boat in the groove, right? You're going to say, oh, I know what that is, right? So that's a sail plane do. balance yeah. and, a, and a rudder position. And the boat's just going to kind of oscillate its way very efficiently between the forces of the wind and the forces of the swells and the keel and the rig. And it's basically going to sail itself, but it's not going to sail dead straight through the water, right? Yeah. Because things are changing. And so that's my notion of balance is that balance is sort of putting your life in the groove where when the wind starts blowing a little bit harder, hey, you know what? You might do a little bit more um, standardization, a little bit more risk management. When the wind is a little bit lighter, you might explore and try some different things in your life. Yeah, so it's about tweaking everything relative to the situation, be it on the boat or in life. Exactly. It's about maintaining. Think about it as the, the coaches would always say, bend your knees, bend your knees, be ready for something to change. Because if on the boat, obviously, if you put a new person at the helm of your boat and they start to just try to drive that boat absolutely straight through the water, it's going to be very turbulent. It's going to be very slow. All the other boats are going to pass you and you're going to tell them, hey, relax, stop trying to control the boat so much. Well, our lives are the same way. Okay. And you mentioned that the book was written with future generations in mind. Uh, If you had to pass on... I suppose one important life lesson or piece of wisdom from your uh, from your six years to your grandchildren. What would that be? I would tell them that a meaningful life, a life of significance, has nothing to do with money or power or fame. Every single person can live a meaningful, significant life if they realize that what makes our life meaningful is being open to other people. And injecting the energy necessary to inspire those people, to equip them, to educate them, to help them along. Because every time we do that, we're taking a little bit of our spiritual, soulful DNA and we're sharing it with them. And that's then going to propagate to other people. And that really is the meaning of life. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a great philosophy. And I think you're a man that's walked the talk and... Uh, You've taken the risks and you've learned a lot from it and you've articulated your adventure beautifully in this book. Um, So thanks very much for joining me, Scott, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon and fair winds, as they say. Yes, following seas, sir. Down to Business with Bobby Kerr. Brought to you by Bank of Ireland. Saturday morning at 11 on News Talk.